this morning, so I encourage you to turn back there. You also have your sermon notes in your bulletin. I'm kind of picking up where we left off last week, uh, but they decided to put them all back in, so in case you forgot yours, you'll have it. Fill it in the blanks as to where we were last Sunday morning, and we're going to finish this thought today, and uh, a couple of weeks from now, go back to a, a really major section in James chapter 5 as we kind of wrap this up over the next couple of months together. The middle section of James chapter 4 where we left off a couple of weeks ago is where God talks to us about an exclusive relationship that he desires to have with us. Now, I don't know about you, but as I even listened to Justin beginning this morning to talk about the creative wonder of the God of the universe and how magnificent it is. Now, again, to be honest with you, I wasn't thrilled today when I got up and saw the snow. Uh, I remember Al Roker saying the other day, anybody that trusts a rodent living in a hole to tell you what the weather's like, you know, ought to be crazy. But again, I've last week decided to run off the 10-day forecast on both weather.com and AccuWeather. None of them were right any of the 10 days. So it's fascinating how you can get paid regularly for doing it every day and still be wrong on a regular basis. But uh, I'm just amazed that the God of the universe, the creative God of the universe, desires an exclusive relationship with us. And, And with us corporately as a church, but as well with us individually. I love the fact that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son to die on a cross so that we could be rescued and redeemed and have eternal life. I love the fact that that God of the universe loves me and loves you, not just corporately but individually. I'm fascinated by that, that that God, the creative God, I'm listening to Swindoll this morning talking about the development of a child in in a great message, and, and he starts it by saying, Insanity is inherited. We get it from our kids. You've heard that one before, right? And it just talks about the creative side of God. How every medical student, when he first is in that process of understanding how the body is formed and functions and, and looks at God's creation, is astounded by how amazing God's creation is. Every day when you look around you, it doesn't really matter what the weather is. Every day when you look around you, the spring, the summer, the fall, the winter, and you watch God's handiwork. No wonder David said, I'm amazed that you love me. What is man that you're mindful of me? And then when I know that that God desires a relationship with me, and not just the world, and not just the church, but with me personally, I love that. And James says, I, I just want you to know that God wants you to find your ultimate fulfillment in him. Created a lot of things for you in- to enjoy. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But your ultimate, deep down inside your soul satisfaction is only going to be found in one relationship, and it's with God. That thought is not exclusive to James 4. That thought goes all the way back to the Old Testament and God's desire with the people of Israel. He chose them. They were His chosen people, and He said, I want an exclusive relationship with you. And He outlines some of that relationship in the Ten Commandments, and it begins by what? No other gods. No rival God. Don't make any other idol. Don't let anything get in the way of this relationship that I desire to have with you. I warned them over and over again that a lot of other things were going to come at them to tempt them away and to try to find the fulfillment in other things, in other places, in other gods. But he said, no other gods before me. No idols. Nothing to get in the way. And you know as well as I do, the Israelites strayed on a regular basis. In the New Testament, he wants the same kind of relationship that he wanted with them, with us. The bride of Christ, the New Testament church. 
those who have embraced Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and not just Community Alliance, not just the churches in Butler, but the Church of Jesus Christ, those who have invited Jesus into their, into their lives, who have accepted Him as Savior, committed themselves to Him, they are a part of the Church of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, I, I want an exclusive relationship with you, where you find your fulfillment in me and me alone. Israelites continually strayed. So does the church, and so do you and I. And last Sunday morning we talked about how do we get back when we recognize that we have strayed away from God and how serious He takes it, so serious that He calls it adultery. How do we get back? I said last Sunday morning as I began, I don't think there's any attack on a relationship, a marital relationship that is any harder on it than adultery. A lot of things can make it difficult to have the kind of ideal relationship that you want to have, a marriage that lasts for a lifetime, but very few things can attack or harm or injure a relationship between a man and a woman as adultery does. And so God chooses to use that term in James chapter 4 when he talks about what it's like for us to stray away from him. Could have chosen maybe a half a dozen other terms, but I, I, I find it when he, when he chooses that term, and the majority of the people, 80, I think 85% of, uh, of people are married, when he chooses that term, and we all understand how we desire to have this relationship, and we have certainly seen others walk through that pain of adultery, I think he helps us by that term to understand how it hurts him because we can imagine how it would hurt us in a marital relationship when our wife or our husband became unfaithful to us. Nothing can hurt that relationship. It doesn't have to destroy it. But it does injure it dramatically. And, and more than anything else, in that injured relationship, we want to come back to what that original design was when we stood before a pastor or a priest and, and, and affirmed these words to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. Is that what you want? Every single one of them, when they stand before me, said yes. But not what we have right now. How do I get back? James, in this section of Scripture from 7 to 10, gives us one of the best outlines or guidelines to get back, either to what we had with God or what we desire to have with God. It is certainly what He desires to have with us. When we realize and recognize that we have strayed away from God, He is not number one in our lives. He is not the, the central figure of our lives. He's not where we get our ultimate fulfillment. And we recognize that we have strayed away from that. How do we get back? Some even answer or ask the question, can I get back? The answer is yes. The reason is amazing grace. The road is repentance, and the process is painful, but absolutely critical and necessary. So what do we do? Verses 7 to 10 of James chapter 4. Submit yourselves then to God. That's how it began. That's where you come back to. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Come near to God, he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, purify your hearts. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and then He will lift you up. Begins with repentance, continues with a lot of work. Last Sunday morning, we looked at the first few. Submit means to line up under the authority of God. Not because you have to, but because you want to. God, you're king. You're the Lord of my life. I give myself completely to you. I hold nothing back. I submit myself to you. I'm not my own. I'm bought with a price. The price was the precious Lamb of God who died on the cross. I recognize that. I understand that. I forgot, or I have forgotten, or I seem to have forgotten 
price you paid for my redemption. The price you paid to have this exclusive relationship with me. And now I recognize I'm not my own. You bought and paid for me. You paid the ultimate price so that I could be your child. And I submit myself to you. I come back to you. I yield the control of my life into your hands. Again, not because I have to, but because I want to. He admits in the first half of James chapter 3, we're not going to be perfect at that. We all stumble. But that constant, continual awareness that when other things have gotten in the way, when other idols have been erected, I've found myself having that relationship that I once had with God, not what it was. I come back and it begins with submission. Second thing is resist the enemy. Resist the devil. A lot of ways I could spend weeks on spiritual issues. Ted did a series a while ago, a couple of years ago, on the power of the enemy, the structure of Satan, the strategy of Satan on a Sunday night. Just an enormous amount of material, and I know he has it if you want it. It's extremely well laid out. But Paul, or James says here in this context, resist his lies. Recognize and resist his lies. Because all the way back to the Garden of Eden, when Satan walked in saying, hey, I know this is what God said, but I just want you to know he's holding out on you. So many more things you could have if you'll just do this. That has never stopped. He walks into our lives saying, come on, everybody does it. Not that big a deal. A little won't hurt. A few Sundays off is not that big of a problem. You work hard. You deserve this. And all the, the while, he's spinning this web where we begin to buy into the lies. People will say, as I said last Sunday morning, well, I couldn't help myself. Outside of Christ, I get that. Inside of Christ, we need to remember John, 1 John 4, 4, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is against you. You may need help, but giving in to the lies of the enemy is always a choice. Listening to his voice, hearing the lies, straying away, not being as close to God as I need to, it is always a choice. I just need you to know the longer you play in both worlds, the longer you listen to his eyes, his lies, the longer you find yourself being pulled away, the deeper you're going to get. And I am absolutely here to tell you the more difficult it is to get away from his lies. He will always get you to stay longer than you desire to stay and pay a higher price than you ever imagined to pay when he sucks you into sin. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath unless you give the enemy a foothold. And if you allow that foothold to remain, it will grow so deep. It will be so entrenched. It will be extremely difficult to get out. That's why Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 8, Be very sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, priors like prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone not to trip up, not to jig-dag at once in a while, to devour you. His ultimate desire is destruction. Individuals, marriages, families, churches. Be aware of his schemes. Never underestimate the power of the enemy. You ought to take note somewhere along the way between now maybe in Easter when you spend some time examining the New Testament scriptures, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, how many times you find a correlation in the context of healing with the casting out of demons. It is over and over and over and over again. The power of the enemy. That in our culture in the United States, we so underestimate. A couple of weeks, we're going to be in Senegal, my wife and I, as we speak to missionaries. And uh, obviously, and I'll talk about that in a couple of weeks from now before we leave. 
But all over Africa, all over northern Africa, there's so much in, in Southeast Asia and Asia and Central America and South America, so much demonic influence that when missionaries talk about it, it's something they see every day. And we, in our context, kind of ignore it or underestimate it. Paul said, I just want you to be aware of the schemes of the enemy. His desire is to destroy you. And James said, if you really want to be submitted to God, you better recognize his schemes. And you better run like crazy. Because desire to pull you away. Draw near to God is the third step he lays out for us in here. Come back to what was once lost. In Revelation, when he addresses the church, he said, you lost your first love. You walked away from that. Come back. Come back to what you want to have. Return and deepen that relationship. The fourth step is to cleanse your hands. To, to quit doing the behavior. What is it? What are those things that are drawing you away from your commitment to God? You know and I know that's different for all of us. So often we want this list. And when I grew up in Christianity, they gave me a list of do's and this list of don'ts. These identify you as a Christian. These identify you as a non-believer. Every one of us is different. What is it that's drawing you away from God? Then quit the behavior. Quit listening to the lies. Anyone who knows what to do, verse 17 of chapter 4, when they ought to do the good and doesn't do it as sin, quit doing the behavior. Hebrews 12, 1, if it's not written in your sermon notes, write it down in this particular context. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and then let us run with perseverance, the race God has outlined for us. Everything that hinders. If you were to write down today or choose today by the power of the Spirit, what is it that keeps me away from God? Is it my job? Is it my time? Is it my hobbies? Is it my lack of passion? What is it that hinders my relationship with God, that, that relationship that he wants to have? And then what are the sins? There are two different issues there he talks about in Hebrews. What are the sins that trip me up on a regular basis? Be honest and identify what it is and what I need to do to seek to change. The fifth step is to purify your hearts. In your sermon notes, Choose this day who you will serve. Again, from my vantage point, when I look at those two aspects, cleanse your hands and purify your hearts, one is the externals and the other is the internal. What are the things you're doing to keep you away, to keep me away from my exclusive relationship with God, where He is number one in my life? What have I done when I recognize Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, His righteousness, Everything else falls in line underneath that. When I realize that line is out of, or that list is out of line and God is not first, what has slipped into that place? What do I need to quit doing that I know is robbing me from my relationship with God as you would in your relationship with your mate? But secondly, what about the inside stuff? What is it deep inside that keeps me from doing that? Do I get my life from God? Is, is my fulfillment in Him? Or is it in my possessions, my, my career, my, my talent, my abilities? Where do I get life? Be honest about that. What is it that does it? The sixth step is to mourn and weep. James is not, um, and I don't even know how to describe it, because when you read that verse, mourn and weep and wail, it seems like, man, this guy is really heavy. It sounds like he goes back to the Old Testament where they ripped off their garments and they put ashes on their head. And they recognized how far away from God they had sinned. Sounds like what he's referring to. In a sense, he is. Because so often in the Old Testament, there was that obvious recognition that I have indeed 
failed God. I have indeed sinned. And we need to be honest about what sin is and what it does to the heart of God and then what we do in response to that sin. So often we call it what? An error in judgment. I made a mistake. I shouldn't have flirted with her as much, and now I find out my heart's going in that direction. So I, man, I made, honey, I made a mistake. Shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have let that. Man, we need to be really honest about what it is. It's not a mistake. It's not an error in judgment. It is sin, and be honest about what it is. And James says, don't just be one of those. You know how when you, when you catch your kids in what you know is an obvious lie, and they say, sorry, and you know they don't mean it, and, and you may have said that to your spouse when after the 27th time she asked you to, to not do this. Hey, sorry. You know whether you meant it. They know whether you meant it. I think James, is what, he, what he's trying to help us understand is recognize how it breaks the heart of God. And not just flippant, sorry. Or a recognition, well, I made a mistake. Shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't, shouldn't have gone there. Shouldn't have gotten so uh, attached. Shouldn't have listened to whatever. God, I, I really am sorry. In the Old Testament, it was a weeping and a wailing. It was the rendering of garments, ashes on their head, a recognition that I have really sinned. And I have broken the heart of God. Take a real honest look at, at what sin does or what it could do or what it will do to you or to your family. I had a pastor friend a long time ago that he said, anytime you ever have the opportunity to talk about the power and pain of sin to a congregation or a group of pastors or missionaries, you have the freedom, total freedom, to tell my story. But he said, this is the piece that I want you to add. He said, when you're a dad and you've got to look into the eyes of your daughter and tell her what you did and how it affected her and how it affected your mom, and how my sin caused me to lose my church. And how I've got to stand before my people and tell them what I've done. But he said, nothing was more painful than all those than when I had to look into the eyes of my daughter. And say, this is what I did. It's so easy to excuse sin. It's so easy to overlook it. It's so easy to, to just wash it away. It's not a big deal. I, I didn't mean to do it. I shouldn't have done it. James says, I just want you to recognize what it does. And I don't want you to be flippant about it. I don't want you to blow it off. And if you're a dad and you recognize that you'd ever have to look into the eyes of your daughter and say what you did or what you've done to the family, if nothing else, if it keeps you away from straying, then it was worth sharing the story. It was worth having that image in your head. On so many occasions throughout so many years of ministry when I recognize temptation, and I've got a target on my chest. I, I know that. I've got a bullseye on me in regards to moral failure. So many other pastors have had moral failure. When I recognize that I've got to look my wife in the eye and my two daughters in the eye, and I've got to stand before a congregation and say what I've done. James said, don't take it for granted. Don't just flippantly walk through it and say, no big deal. It didn't hurt that many. It's not that big a deal. Yeah, it is. Seventh step is humility. Seventh step is just to be honest with really humble yourself before the Lord. It comes back to the beginning that says submit. To bow your knee. To recognize that God, you're creator and I'm not. 
You're the master of the universe, and I'm not. You're the one that I get life from. You're the one that I get ultimate fulfillment from. Thank you for all of those things, my, my family, my friends, my, my ministry, my hobbies, my home, the, the things that I do, the places that I go, the enjoyment of life. But ultimate fulfillment is in you, and I know that. And I come and I humble myself before you, and I submit to you. If you're willing to do that, look what God does. At the end of verse 10, he'll lift you up. Help me yourself before the Lord, admit this, go through this journey, and then He will lift you up. One of the lies of the enemy is that you can't go back. One of the classic lies of the enemy is you cannot go back. You cannot have that relationship that you once had either with your mate, you can't have it with your church, you can't have it with your kids, you can't have it with your family, you cannot have it with God. One of the lies of the enemy is that you can't go back. And Right here he says again, it reminds us, that if we're willing to go through this process and humble ourselves before the Lord, He'll lift us up. In the middle section, He said, when I come near to Him, He's going to what? Come running to me. Like the story of the prodigal son. The story of God's amazing grace. The story of the prodigal son who recognized, Father, I've sinned against you and I've sinned against my dad. I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against my father. I want to go home. And the prodigal father was waiting all along. When the son came back, he received him put a robe on his back, rings on his finger, killed the fatted calf, and they celebrated. You can go back. Don't let Satan ever lie to you and tell you you can't. Now, if indeed you are not willing to do, verse 10, to humble yourself before God and let Him lift you up, then it will become my way, my life, my time, my money, my plan. If you decide that you're not going to submit to God and let Him run your life and let Him lift you up, then who will? If you're not going to submit yourself to God and submit to Him and let Him run your life and let Him lift you up, then who will? You will. I will. And James, I believe, in this last half of chapter 4 gives us two classic ways that we do that. If we decide that we're not going to submit ourselves to God and let Him lift us up, then we'll lift ourselves up by number one in your sermon notes, putting others down, verse 11. In verses 13 to 16, we'll build our own kingdom and we'll lift ourselves up. If we're not willing to submit ourselves to God and let Him run our lives, to give ourselves completely to Him, let Him lift us up, then we'll, do our, we'll lift ourselves up by number one, putting others down. Verse 11, brothers and sisters, don't slander one another. Anybody who speaks against a brother or sister and judges them speaks against the law and judges it. Speak against means to speak down. Some husbands do it with their wives. Some wives do it with their husbands. Some parents do it with their children. Some children do it to their parents. Some bosses do it to their employees. Speak down, put down. Most people... And I've found this true in all the years of ministry. Most people who do not feel good about themselves usually speak against others in an effort to put themselves in a better light. The people who critique others the most are the ones who are usually the most insecure, who feel so bad about themselves that they've got to do everything they can to put others in a bad light so they feel better about themselves. The ones who pass on gossip are usually ones putting people down. Gossip puts people down. The reason most people do that, if you know someone who just does it on a regular basis, most likely don't feel so, they feel so bad about themselves, they've got to put others in a worse light than themselves so that they at least look better. 
put themselves, others down so that they can feel better about themselves. If you're not willing to submit yourself before God and let Him lift you up, then you'll lift yourself up usually by putting people down. Second thing, verses 13 to 16. <coughs> With your personal ambition, you'll build your own empire and you'll stand on top of it and you'll raise yourself up. Today or tomorrow, we'll go to this city and that city, spend a year here, carry on business, make money. It's down to verse 16 and 17. And 17 said, you boast in your arrogant schemes. Now, in a, in a couple of weeks, we're going to deal with the first six verses of chapter 5 and talk about this issue. I think he ties these two in together. But in this context here, if you do not want to humble yourself before the Lord and wait for Him to lift you up, then you'll do everything in your power to lift yourself up. Verse 13, today or tomorrow we'll go to this city or that, we'll spend a year there, carry on business, make money, boasting in our arrogant schemes, I'll do this, I'll go there, I'll make money. He's not against money, you'll see that in a couple of weeks. He is not against money at all, he is not against ambition. What he's against in pointing out the fact that we're excluding God from the equation, I'll do it myself. I'll do it on my own. You want to be lifted up? Then bow low. You want to be lifted up? Then submit. And let Him lift you up. To be really honest with God and say, Lord, I just need you to know I recognize the fact that it's not my life. I'm bought with a price. It's not my money. You've given it all to me. Everything I have comes from you. It is not my career, it is not my way, it is not my plan. How do you want me to use what you've given me? For I recognize that I'm not my own, I, I'm bought with a price. So God, I'm wanna, I, I really want to be honest with you and I want to I pull down the altar. I want to reject the mistress. I don't want her to influence my life and my relationship with you anymore. I draw near to you. I repent. I, I, I'm looking inside. I'm, I'm looking outside. I, I recognize that my allegiance is not what it used to be, that I am classic Ephesians church in Revelation. I've lost my first love. The passion and the love that I had for you when I found you as Savior isn't there anymore. I know it. You know it. That love, that enjoyment, the love to sing, the love to read your word, the love to share your truth, the love to just spend time with you that I once had when I first found you as Savior isn't there anymore. And I know that. And I come back and I repent. And I want to be honest about the things that I know, the external stuff that I know that have gotten in the way, and I want to be honest about some of the stuff in here. And whenever you reveal the dirt that's on my hands... And every time I hear your spirit speaking into my heart and telling me that I'm drifting back and I've let other things get into the place, I, I've let other things come into first place in my life, knowing that that place belongs to you, I will confess, I will repent, and I'll put my priorities straight. <coughs> Sunday night, Ted's doing a series on the power and, or called Life in the Spirit, and I'm telling you, one of the keys to living the Christian life is to really understand the power of God's Holy Spirit and what he is able to do in our lives, and what he points out. And the beauty of being able to allow him access into every nook and cranny of my being, so that when I know there are things that got, have gotten in the way, be it hobbies or, or lifestyle or attitudes, whatever it may be, to listen to his voice and then come back to this process that James is taking us through. God, I'll weep. I'll humble myself before you. 
I'll recognize that when you convict me of sin and convince me of sin, that I'll have it go way beyond the conviction of a Sunday morning when that one time when I came forward and I recognized that I messed up and I bowed my knee and pray, it will go way beyond a Sunday morning experience. It will become a lifestyle. And that is the absolute key to the issue. For what he is laying out in here to become a lifestyle. A commitment that I've made like I've made to my wife. When I stood before God and I stood before that pastor and I looked her in the eyes and said, I commit myself to you for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. When I made that commitment, I meant that commitment. And God, like I meant it to her, I'm meaning it to you. I may have dripped, other things have gotten in the way. But God, I made a commitment to her. I stood before her. I stood in front of that minister. I stood before my family and my friends, the Church of Jesus Christ, and before Almighty God. And I made a commitment that I would stay with her for a lifetime and that she would always be number one, second to God only. And God, other things have gotten in the way, and I'm really sorry. God, I want to come back to the same kind of commitment that I made to you when I bowed my knee before you when I accepted you in March of 1965. And a lot of other stuff, even my own ambition, has gotten in the way. I'm sorry. When this becomes not a, de a decision, but a lifestyle, it'll change your life. When it becomes a daily lifestyle, I am absolutely guaranteeing you it will change your life. When it's not just a one-time decision but a daily decision, a process, a lifestyle where I every single day when I wake up recognize, God, you created me, you gave me a brand new day. It is another day that I want to use for your glory, whatever that may be. If I go into work today and work for the next 10 hours with those people that, that you have placed around me, whatever it is, God, I submit this day to you. I want to listen to your Holy Spirit. I want to listen to your voice. If there are things today that have gotten in a way or getting in a way, behaviors that I'm participating in, I want to hear your voice and I want to make sure that I keep my hands clean and my heart pure. I don't want to be flipping about sin, but I want to understand how it breaks your heart. You want to have a great relationship with God? I've got to believe you want a great relationship with God. Not just fire insurance to know that when you die you're going to heaven. Or not just one of the things you fit into your life because you better hurry up, brother, because i got 23 things. My kids got six things that they've got to do today. And, and we couldn't come for the next few weeks because got all these other things. Whatever that may be that's keeping you away. You want to have a great relationship with God? It's a daily decision to every single day be willing to walk through this process that James outlines in three little verses. And I'm telling you, it'll change your life. He gives an amazing process of being willing to submit ourselves to Him. Don't buy into the lies of the enemy. Come near to Him. Draw near to Him, and He'll come near to us. Quit the behavior. Look deep inside. Be honest about sin. Humble myself before Him, and He then will lift me up. Day by day, until your dying day, until you see Him face to face, if you're willing to do it, it will change Father James, in a, a few short verses, I believe gives us one of the most amazing keys to unlock a relationship that I've got to believe that a lot of us in this room, maybe all of us in this room, really want. I know it's what you want. From the beginning of time, from the 
relationship that you desire with the Israelite nation to the relationship that you desire with the church of Jesus Christ to the bride of Christ to the relationship that you desire with us. And so God, I just simply ask in the name of Jesus and by the power of your spirit that you will have the freedom to speak not just today in these closing moments when it's so important to us and it's weighed on us. I just pray, oh God, that you will speak to the point where it becomes a, a lifestyle. For me, when I wake up in the morning, I'll give every day to you and I'll recognize my behavior and my attitudes and the things that are pulling me away. And the lies of the enemy. So God, I pray right now that you have the freedom to speak by your spirit. Every one of you, wherever you're at with God, I'd love for you to just simply be honest with God and say, Lord, this is really what I want because I know it's what you want. And so would you entrench this process into my mind so that I can be willing to walk through this journey until it so becomes a lifestyle that when I look back on it, when it's all said and done and I see you face to face, I will look you square in the eye because I will have loved our relationship.